20,000 feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors. And I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top floor. Three oars rip right round your jugular. In our feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be discussing how sexy our voices are. <laughs> Hi, guys. Oh. Re- reporting to you from our new equipment. We hope it sounds awesome. Uh, we're going to be talking about more than our microphones today, though. We'll be talking about the Grammys. And we also have a really awesome, rad interview that we are excited to bring you with Sarah Papalardo, the co-founder of Reductress, and also fellow podcast host of Mouth Time, the Reductress podcast. You'll learn much more about that later. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Everywhere. You can donate to our NPR collection fund at npr. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wrong radio job. You can uh, find us on um, uh, select places. We have a Facebook page where you can like us, but we also have a Facebook community page, which is Feminist, no, w- Feminist Killjoys WT community. You got this. You got this. <laughs> Feminist Killjoys slash WTF community. Yeah, you got it. That's thank, exactly it. Thank you. Yep. And uh, we also have a Twitter account and FKJ underscore PhD. Also a Spotify mixtape. We have a Gmail account where you can email us if you live in 2004, which is almost technically a better time than what the year is now fkj.phd at gmail.com and I owe at least two people responses so excuse me I'm going to respond and then we also have um, some ways to support us if you want to support feminist media makers we have a website in which you can do that feministkilljoyspodcast.com you can click on the birdie and leave us a donation and thank you to those who have recently I will send you out thank you postcards very soon And then we also have a Patreon account where you can leave us mini micro donations that get uh, donated monthly. Did I leave anything out? I think you got it all. Okay. Rachel, how are you doing this evening? Well, to take a moment to be vulnerable and real with our listeners, as I reported to you before we started recording, I was having like a bad mental health afternoon. Um, I was just like in a very sad place and had a cry and didn't get any work done, even though that was my plan for the entire, like staying in on a Saturday afternoon and evening. I was like, I'm going to get so much work done. And then I got really fucking depressed. So that was a bummer. Uh, but I'm feeling a lot better now. And I had an awesome morning uh, because we had a Jay-Z and Beyonce sculpts class that I co-taught with my friend Leah. And it was a lot of fun. And um, the rest of my week has been relatively normal i think nothing uh particularly unique to report from my week what about you i also have not been doing well mentally so yesterday was my mental uh health day it's good that we have these happen on different days mm-hmm. <laughs> so we can support each other Indeed. oh i've just been at this uh, media conference and some problematic speakers were presenting and that just kind of like set me off into a spiral of 
anxiety. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those days where I wanted to collect myself and I couldn't. And I was in the pu- I was in public for all of the day and I couldn't collect myself. And it just, um, you know, I've learned through yoga that you're supposed to just like sit with your feelings. But sometimes mm-hmm. you can't sit with your feelings because you're in public. Uh, but uh, I got through the day and I'll, you know, that's just kind of what unfortunately the status quo is right now with a lot Mm -hmm. of us and i think it's just important for us to be especially with people you know are impacted by the whatever's going on in our society for all of us to kind of keep our empathy card kind of close at hand and use it often and Mm -hmm. give people some patience uh if they're not their true selves or a little bit more negative than usual yeah yeah i don't really have anything super positive to say except it was really fun doing the love letter episode and that was a yeah good... that was fun I really I did lo- I did love that it made me feel all the feelings so thank you again for what you said in that I also felt like I probably unsurprisingly given like the way I like to like approach writing projects I was like kind of doing it more in like I'm going to create a really like nostalgic and lovely love letter where I tell a story about us instead of like listing all the other things I like there were basically what I'm saying is that there are more things I could have said about you that I love including like how you're really good with kids and how you do a bunch of work to be better at like emotions and family dynamics and all of these things like that you do like actual work to do and even though it doesn't come easy and even though it's not like explicitly part of the revolution and that you wear aprons as clothes. Um, I I really like that. Uh, And there's like a million more things too, but I just thought when I was comparing, um, I was like, I definitely went more form than content, I think kind of. So um, as opposed to you were just like listing and I was like, Oh, that's so sweet. And I was really, really moved. What you shouldn't be comparing. I know, but you know, I, I just did. Okay. Did you love? Did you like the? Did you like the promise ring shout out? Uh, yeah, and also wasn't the, it was the um, the Connor Ogres through the Bright Eyes yep. song? Yeah, no, I know. Metal first day of my life. Hey, yep. I knew I was fully well aware <laughs> of what was going on. Yeah, awesome. and see, but see, that's why I didn't uh, listen to yours first because I didn't want to yeah. be swayed, and I think that's why yeah. it was important because then we were just like it was just our authentic representation of however totally. we wanted to express our feelings. Right. Although which, is, I, which makes sense for both of us, I think, the way it came out. Yeah, I agree. And I th- also, it's funny that you brought up that I'm good with kids because today I was <laughs> talking to a mutual friend of ours and uh, who has a very uh, child who's like five or six now. And <laughs> and he put the phone out and I was supposed to just like talk to so he could so the child could guess who was on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I started singing Lion King. <laughs> okay. What five-year-old knows the lion? Like what? Oh no, yeah, no. In Portland, like who lives in Portland and is like liberal, you know, parent. Yeah, he doesn't. That was what I thought to say. (laughs) Yeah, I was a little off with my generational uh, reference there. So that was my interaction. They're doing a remake, though. I heard Donald Glover is going to be Simba. Is Scar not going to be like a Middle Eastern terrorist? version uh unknown i didn't click on the i didn't click on the article i just saw donald glover will play simba in lion king remake are they going to have stronger female characters probably not okay let's check him yeah all right 
<laughs> we have a, uh, you didn't really talk about the t- the timing if people are anxious and need to know how long the interview is that we uh, did this week, but it's uh, it's not a full hour, so we get to spend a little bit more time talking about who ruins the dinner party, which is our, I often love to talk about that, so. Yeah, indeed. Who is ruining your dinner party this week? It's a mutual ruining, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Who's ruining my dinner party is the Grammy voting squad who decided that Adele deserved record record of the year and album of the year and not Beyonce. Yeah. And Beyonce just got the uh, racialized award of what was it? What what's the racialized one? Like R and B or urban urban in in yeah urban and the hip hop and the rapping award. Yeah, I forget the name of it. The Urban um, Influence Award. Just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> dumb cat. Um, yeah, that was definitely a messed up decision that made no sense and uh, demonstrates one of the many reasons that white supremacy is alive and well. And also, you know, I think Adele's response was really well-intentioned, but I just feel like nobody should ever just say the words black friend together if you're a white person, because I know what she meant, but like, you can't fucking talk about your quote unquote black friends in an, in a a nationally aired, you know, award acceptance speech, um, because you're going to get kind of attacked for that. So it was like, Oh, Adele. So, so close. I think what she was doing there was backpedaling because if I could be inside of her mind for a second, I think she was thinking, oh my God, people probably think I'm talking about all my white friends who are totally moved by lemonade, which is Mm. not the people that I thought, like is obviously not the intended audience of lemonade. And so I needed to, I need to clarify that I also have people of color friends so they don't get at me for saying because people are racist and they just think that people from Britain are all white. You know, I don't, I'm assuming that was like going through her head. I could just kind of tell in her response because she's obviously like, she's aware enough to know that it's fucked up that a black woman didn't win these awards. And she she knows that Beyonce's album was better in so many different ways. So she's already aware of the racial injustice. So I guess to get, I understand why people are getting on her about the black friend comment, but I really think she was just trying to, in that moment being up on stage, like trying to correct herself. I agree. And it but just, it just came out like a celebrity yeah. who has to say shit out loud and get scrutinized. So I'm just, you know, it, it just feels like one of those phrases that should be like pinned in your brain as something to never like say, say consecutively if you're a white person. But, um, but yeah, I know. I mean, it's, it's not her fault that she, that she won. So what else did you like or dislike about the show? I Well, I was really surprised with all the political resistance. I honestly didn't think I was going to see that much of it at the Grammys. I, mm-hmm. I But right out of the gate, I mean, one of the first things, I can't remember the exact order, but J-Lo said something and then Paris Jackson, who I think might, it's might, that might have been like her biggest pub- public appearance yet so far, who is Michael mm-hmm. Jackson's daughter came out and like the first thing she said was i i wish that kind of energy could have been channeled into a no dapple protest like we need mm-hmm. you there mm-hmm. uh, which was awesome. awesome um and then it just kind of like went from there like a lot of people made really political statements even K- Katy perry with her armband i may have been asleep at that point because most sunday nights i have to wake up at 5 a.m the next morning so i was i was in bed by um 
by by 10 at least 9:30 or 10. Uh, so I don't think I saw Katy Perry's armband. What did it say? Resist. It was just a resist oh, right. or revolt armband. Um, right. Which for a pop singer is bold. I mean, I think yeah. she's she's been yeah, around enough now true. where she can kind of be pushing this envelope. She was but. married to Russell. What's his name? Yep. Russell. Yep. What is his? Brand. She better have brand. There yep. we go. Brand. 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 Uh, so if, yeah, if that's. That's true. She she better have some level of political consciousness because that guy's not perfect, but he's he knows his shit and he's pretty socialisty, which is cool. So I agree. It's just she is a pop star, and totally. so politics are often discouraged in that space. Yes. So it's always good for her to you know resist the status quo. Yeah. Anyways, so there was that, and then obviously, well, Chance the Rapper. <sighs> obviously but he's very churchy it wasn't political and then tribe called quest was like the big mic drop sledgehammer Mm -hmm. of the evening did you end up did you watch that performance i I did rewatch the next day yeah it was amazing it was really amazing yeah they kick down a wall and bring a muslim woman through i mean (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah it fucking ruled oh it just made me feel so better and I mean, for they have the Grammy dude out. I'm glad you went to sleep at this point, but they brought the like chairperson of the Grammys out. No surprise, it's an old white guy. But at 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 one point in his speech, he did talk about the importance of music as a form of resistance, mm-hmm. and he didn't use such strong language. But that's what he was saying was that cool. that yeah. artists should be using the space to resist. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, as much as the Grammy award people are problematic i mean they let some of that stuff go and i mean in certain in terms of the performances right they could have mm-hmm. they invited a tribe called quest they didn't show up announced, right. you know right people are aware of what their big single was this past mm-hmm. year they were giving people the stage um yeah to do these things and i'm i i don't want to give any like back padding to the Grammys yeah. for doing that, but it wasn't as whitewashed and kind of scrubbed clean of any kind of politics as I assumed yeah. it was going to be. Yeah, it was, I mean, you know, I love these award shows for, you know, things to talk about with my students and mm-hmm. the the handful of artists at the Grammys that I'm actually excited about, which is becoming fewer and fewer, I feel like, every year. And I just, I'm laughing because I'm thinking about we, one of the red carpet hosts was talking about, she said, and I'm so excited for my man, Ed Sheeran, who is going to rock it out. And I was like, I couldn't even place what an Ed Sheeran song sounded like. And then I heard him and I'm like, this is the guy who's going to rock it out. And it just made me laugh a lot because this is. And the man on the jukebox and then we start to dance and now I'm singing like, girl, you know I want your love. Just so much amazing music in the world, and it's just very funny to think about what becomes popular, which is a whole different conversation. But um, no, I can. I, can I also say something about that because the patriarchy is totally ruining my dinner party in terms of that. Uh-huh. Because Ed Sheeran. Is very popular and he is not handsome and is totally like thrown together, which 
I usually I don't care about, you know, but mm -hmm. I just want people to think about the fact that somebody that looks like him as a man gets, you know, all of this fame is on Saturday Night Live and then the Grammys and collaborates with a lot of hip hop artists I've, I've come to learn looking like that where yeah. women have to put so much effort into what they look like. Like if somebody came out, if a woman came out with her hair not brushed and like her armpit hair, like falling out of her shirt <laughs> with some scruffy outfit on, are you kidding yeah. me? It would never happen, you know? And so when I see him, it's, it's not like I'm, I'm angry about him or his music. It just reminds me of the double standard that exists in the music yeah. industry and how like we might talk about all this like racial justice stuff and and that is like obviously like most important right now it was just a good reminder that like there's still a lot of work to be done yeah in the music industry you know yeah and yeah. I, I i and i love chance and and chance even shows up like looking like whatever you know and he's a yeah. doll i just wish that people would see women that dress like that as cute and as dolls and you know yeah i'm yeah. and charming you know oh he doesn't care yeah. what he looks like okay well I, what about the women? Oh, well, I mean, right. she's a little fat. I mean, I could see the rolls like falling off of her. Right. right. Yeah. Oh. Well, which, which reminds me of, um, Alicia Keys, who of course no longer wears makeup in public and people Hello. seem, I mean, I'm surely she has a bunch of internet trolls. I'm sure that tell her she's, you know, hideous, but over, I think overall people have been largely excited by that. I, I double tweeted how femme resistance sprang up when I, when I see all that, like natural women are just so beautiful and amazing. Like who needs makeup? Look at Alicia Keys. She's so empowered, blah, blah, blah. And as a femme who loves makeup and thinks makeup can be subversive and not simply an example of being a dupe of the patriarchy. I just want to remind everyone that we can Ooh. celebrate <laughs> We can celebrate Alicia Keys and other women who don't wear makeup <laughs> for being powerful. And we can also celebrate femmes and women who wear tons of makeup for being powerful and I, grand. I agree. I 70% agree. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of our many feminist fights that we have. Debates. Friendly debates that we have. No, I get you. I get you. Because Beyonce yeah. was also doing her thing and looking extra high femme, you know, with her totally. fa fabulous outfits. Um and so no hate on yeah. that. I get you. I just wish there was more space for people like Alicia Keys is my only point. There's a lot of space for femness. Agreed. Agreed. I just, a yes. little more space for the Alicia Keys yes. in the world. Yes. All right. We didn't like um, those white boys who tried to be Blink-22 <sighs> and also, <laughs> how is this punk? What is our world? <laughs> Yeah, that was funny because we both tweeted at each other exact at the exact same time referencing Blink-182. Like, this reminds me of what they used to do. And, yep. <laughs> you know, it was it was it was very immature when Blink-182 did it. It didn't get yeah. any better. And like also within uh, an award show that was highlighting a lot of political resistance for them to do that as their yeah. punk move. Yeah. And other I, I noticed a couple other like punk people like with flasks and like I was like that's your move really like you have this right. you have this platform and you are obviously inspired by a lot of punk bands who had political messaging and this is what you're doing with that time right right were they though I mean how old are those guys if their punk influence was 
Blink-182 than they didn't the political punk, you but, know? But I hope that if you're... Also, are they even... Do they even think that they're punk? Are we just saying they're punk because their hair is dyed? Because that music is not even close to punk, I feel like. Yeah, but the people that... I don't even... Into them, like, I can... The people that wear, like, 21 Pilots stuff at school are, like, the gothy kids. They're the gothy punk kids. So they're definitely tapped into that subculture for some, for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't assume their their musical influences. You're right. I just, uh, you know, the punk. They look like they look like that's what they would want to say that their influences are. You're doing it wrong. Yeah, Twenty One Pilots. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> no punk points for you. No, you get negative points. <laughs> We're cool. taking your punk yeah. card away. going to write a book in high school called what I I had a title for it I don't remember it was like it was it was kind of like it was kind of like trying to be the outsiders except something else and it was basically like divisions and punk circles and like being part of the cool kids when you're a punk Mm -hmm. even though punks are supposed to be resisting that that was like my big high school novel plan and then I never wrote it I wrote some parts of it but I still think that's a relevant argument yeah it's true so that's kind of the Grammys. We'll come back to the Grammys, though, because we're going to do an episode on award shows in general. And I'm going to watch the Oscars in Rachel's honor as well. And then Yay. we're going to Rachel's going to kind of lead that that uh, episode. But we're going to we'll circle back to this. Um, just kind of yeah. we'll see how the Oscars unfold and then no nope. from there. So I'm not sure our listeners are super stoked anyway, because nobody in our Facebook group commented on that thread. The, the one you posted in our in our community page. So again, just a reminder, as Melody said earlier, we have our Facebook page, which we have a ton of people on, which is great and really lovely um, to know that people like that page. Um, we have far fewer, but a, a, a good chunk of people in our community. And people are usually really active when people post on threads. And Melody was like, okay, great. Here's our Grammys thread. And then it was just me and Melody saying what yeah. was that on that's that's understandable though. I mean, I thought more people were watching it, but my student, a lot of my students didn't watch it either. I think award shows are to- in the in the era of convergence. Sitting for a three and a half hour show is just not. Oh yeah, it's not what people do anymore, especially if anybody's younger than like thirty five, and so totally. they just wait for be- the clips to come out the next day. Yes, you know? yeah, they're becoming irrelevant in the moment. They still have some relevance, I think, in terms of the the clips after the fact. Yes. And I just remember like we watched the VMAs this past year because Lizzo was co-hosting some part of it. Mm -hmm. And I was like really confused because they barely gave out any awards. It was just basically all performances. So yeah, whatever award shows are going to look like, it's clearly changing and I'm not too upset that people didn't watch (laughs) it and just, just be really impressed with our analysis. That's all we have. Yes. So So before we get on to our awesome interview, uh, we did want to stick to our word and create an accountability corner of sorts. Um, It's like a newsletter. No, I love it. It's like my accountability corner. (laughs) So this is just sort of the moment that if we get emails or tweets or anything else telling us that we fucked up in, in a particular way, or maybe that we should rethink the way we talk about something from a different perspective uh, we're very committed to being open to that and learning because we know that we still have so much to learn um, and we don't have all the perspectives that 
everybody else that in that listens has. So we want to speak to a, an email we got, which we're leaving the, the name of the person anonymous. But uh, Melody, did you want to did you want to kick that off? Yeah, and I um, I think we, we got a similar comment when we had Dr. Showalter on talking about her pregnancy as well. But it, mm. it's, it, it's all about uh, my commentary on people getting pregnant at, th- at this day and age. And it's clearly a very personal opinion that I have, but also people are taking it very personally, which m- makes a lot of sense, especially if people are like really trying to get pregnant and they're struggling with it. And then I'm here saying... Why are you even getting pregnant in the first place? But the one thing I did want to respond to is is what one part of the comment was about how adoption is very expensive and can be out of reach for a lot of people. And I, I, I'm aware of that form of adoption. And that's often the international style of adoption where you go to Korea or, you know, some other country in which there's a lot of orphan children and you, you go and you take one and you bring them home. And I understand that that process is very expensive. In my world, I live often in lower income and high density people of color neighborhoods, and I have for a long time. And my, what I see as being pitches adoption and fostering is like people begging adults to foster kids because in these cities, there is a lot of kids that don't have homes that they're in the foster system. And cost is not even a thing. Like they will make sure that you get the resources needed. And so oftentimes, like on a community radio, they'll be like, we're holding a foster information session, come on down. And there's, there's billboards up about foster agencies and and people just like, they're really trying to get adults to foster kids, which will then lead to adoption. So my understanding of what adoption is in cities in the United States is a lot different than this understanding of international adoption. And so I guess I just wanted to clarify that. I understand that pregnancy is a personal decision and and I don't want anybody to get personally offended by my opinion, but also that when when my opinion is informed by hearing you know these begs of needing foster parents in these cities, you know, so when I'm hearing that all the time and then people are also getting pregnant, I'm like, but there's that kid like in my neighborhood that needs a parent and ah. and so that's that's where I'm coming from. And and I guess if you're not aware of that and that's not going on in your city, you might just be assuming that I'm talking about going to China and getting a kid, which is also fine and y'all can do that as well. Obviously that's financially um impossible for some people, but that that's my my perspective is like for the lack of better terms like inner city fostering that's the perspective that i'm seeing in my world i think that our letter writer and probably many like other people in general would i mean the, the question isn't necessarily have a child or foster though especially when fostering can be really really brutal in terms of not being able to keep children and how difficult that can be. So if you yeah. want to have a child to raise forever, um, and even with adoption, it's there's really dramatic, rough yeah. stories. You know, I, I don't know that fostering is a very different kind of thing um, that not everybody is, is, is cut out for for many different reasons, including how emotionally traumatic it can be if you have to if a kid gets taken away from you right which again can also happen with adoption but just happens more often with fostering so so just to be um sort of sympathetic to that and Mm -hmm. um you know and I think it's also just a question of 
you, I think you, you always make sure to say, this is my personal opinion, but it's also like women can do with their bodies what they want to do with their bodies, you know? And it's like, and, and kind of also goes into like our lifestyle politics thing. Like somebody having a baby isn't, isn't easing the, the reason that there are children in foster care isn't because people are pregnant. It's because of capitalism, in my opinion, among other things. But the root of the problem is not people getting pregnant. The root of the problem is creating a a society that doesn't enable, whether it's access to birth control or money to raise children or all of the other reasons that people may put a child up for adoption or foster care. The problem is not pregnant women. The problem is our, our society and our systems and structures that create imbalance. I think that's sort of the bottom line, even though I totally understand that it's frustrating to know that there are children who need homes and period. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm glad that you brought up lifestyle politics, because depending on how much you like read into my comments and what episodes you've listened to and all that stuff, I'm like really dedicated to lifestyle politics. And so if I hear that a company once like dissed a worker, I'm like, I'm never supporting them again, you know? And so I'm like really into like living my values. And sometimes I have a really hard time, admittedly so, this is like a flaw. Like I'm not making an excuse, like understanding when people with the same amount of knowledge that I have don't make the same choices that I do. Mm -hmm. And so that is definitely something that I struggle with. And I don't want anybody to think I think Rachel would agree because we both have strong opinions on different things that if you feel personally implicated in the opinion that it's not, it's not a personal thing. It's just how we feel. And I know that sometimes it connects to people's like personal lives. I'm bummed that people would feel sad listening to my opinion. And with, I would like to acknowledge that sometimes I have a hard time with my lifestyle politics and I will keep that in mind moving forward. Same. I mean, I was, you know, I was echoing your sentiments occasionally as well. So, um, so I also apologize for for being less than mindful about that. And and although Mel, you know, I think that sometimes maybe can be difficult for people. It is also, you know, I would add that to another thing that I love about you. That and I think I was trying to say that in my little love letter that your devotion to the movement and to justice. Um, obviously shows up in like all of your actions, which is which is really, really admirable. But not everybody has to do that. And just because those people aren't doing that doesn't mean that it's entrenching and or not doing enough to resist those things Correct. or whatever. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Also, when you said the movement, it really reminded me of uh, I, I failed to mention Donald Trump's new media survey. Did you get that? Did you fill that out, Rachel? <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, Did you God. hear about this? No. Oh, well, I'm luckily I'm lucky enough to be on his text uh, loop. And so he sent me (laughs) he sent me a link to a he wants me to fill out this survey about the mainstream media and and what organizations specifically have been uh, unfair to the movement. His movement, the Donald Trump movement. Yeah, well, he just refers to it as no, he says our movement. Wow. What do you think about MSNBC and its coverage of our movement? And then it gives you like some room to fill out your answer oh god yeah Uh. it's like a long survey too and then obviously it got like tweeted out and sent around and then once some of the survey results were coming back we're not actually upset with the mainstream media they accused (laughs) democrats of like sabotaging the survey right it's rigged 
Okay, sad. but it is sad, unfair, failing, fake. But <laughs> also, what the fuck? Our president is sending out a survey about what we feel the mainstream media is doing for our movement. It's a baited survey. It's like basically he oh, wants yeah. data. I don't, it's probably just for people to donate money, but really, what you want data on how many of your supporters hate mainstream news? Oh, uh, yeah. No, I know. It's, oh. What the? F- it was. Ah! Um, You're killing me, Donald Trump. I, like, I don't literally, even have anything. Like, literally, my mental health. Can you stop? I know. Like, oh, I know. I'm literally stammering because there's just so much anger and rage and horror and shock and confusion about the things that we've been seeing since he since before he took office but the things that have been happening since he's been in office is speaking of black friends um you know (laughs) do you have any because i really need to get um a meeting with the cbc which which i don't know exactly what that means but it sounds like it's black people and you're black yeah so maybe you're friends with them yeah can you get me a meeting Jesus fucking Christ. Are you gonna are you gonna include the CBC, Mr. President, in your are you gonna include the Congressional Black Caucus and the Congressional Well Hispanic I would. Caucus, I tell you what, do you wanna well set up the, the meeting? CBC. Do you wanna set up the meeting? No, no, no. I, are they I'm friends not, of I'm yours? No, get I, set up the I meeting. I know some of them, but I'm sure Speaking of funny things mm-hmm. and comedy, mm-hmm. what a good transition to uh, our interview with Sarah Papalardo, who as I said earlier, is the co founder of Reductress. Uh, Sarah sort of gives an overview of what that is, but I'll also just explain. You've probably seen Reductress on your social media feeds. Uh, It's a sort of feminist version of The Onion, very satirical. I forget what she called it. It's a a mix between The Onion and Cosmo, maybe? Yes. So Sarah's delightful, and uh, we went to college together, so uh, it's been really exciting to see her success, and we really enjoyed talking to her. And uh, we forgot, I forgot to mention uh, her podcast that I had wanted to mention. So check out Mouth Time, the Reductress podcast as well. In mouth my pop, time. My Hello. Mouth Time on <laughs> NPR Public Radio. We should start our own public radio station with these mics, man. <laughs> Have you ever seen Born in Flames? Listeners, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Born in Flames is the one about the rate, the like resistant woman of color feminist radio show. I could oh. be wrong. If y'all know what I'm talking about, somebody tweet at us because... Oh, that's what it is. It's a 1983 documentary-style feminist science fiction film by Lizzie Borden, who Lizzo references, that explores Mm -hmm. racism, classism, sexism, and heterosexism. Okay, so basically, I was born the same year that this film came out, and I've never seen Uh, it. What's wrong with me? You should definitely watch it. You would really like it. Without further ado, our interview... With Sarah Papalardo. Hey! So we are here with Sarah Papalardo. Did I pronounce that correctly? You sure did. Perfect. Co-founder of Reductress, uh, one of the highlights of my internet uh, threads, or uh, not threads, rather, uh, wall timelines. What's the word for the Facebook thing? Feeds. 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 There we go. It is the highlight of my Facebook feed. And Sarah, thank you so much for being with us. We are big fans and we're really excited to have you here. And we went to DePaul University together in Chicago at the same time. And so I would personally just love to know sort of the short version of what happened between graduation and starting Reductress. So what was the sort of in-between period and what was the moment that you knew that Reductress was your next step? Sort of what, what was the sort of birth of that like? 
Sure. So I finished up um, a grad program at DePaul having no idea what exactly I wanted to do, but I was performing and writing around Chicago, um, kind of in the improv and sketch community, and um, was a little burnt out. So I thought moving to New York would solve that. I got an office job here in New York and was writing plays at night um, and was pretty satisfied doing that. Ended up kind of easing back into sketch and improv in a just for fun kind of way. And that's where I met my now business partner, Beth. And we had written a few sketch shows together, kind of had the same two threads of thinking. One, that we felt that there weren't enough women's voices in sketch comedy and a lot of ideas being brought up by women just were kind of being shot down, not because any guys were mad, like sexist pigs or anything like that, but because they really couldn't relate to the material because it just didn't, it wasn't part of their life. Right. And also we kind of just had an obsession with women's media and the way that it talked down to women and used fear and insecurity to sell things. Yeah. So um, I was doing that at night and working at a digital agency during the day. And basically my day job and my night job combined to make Reductress. In terms of like having the skills to like design a website kind of thing? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So I had a question for, for those of for the listeners who aren't familiar with Reductress, can you just give a little summary? Sure. So we are a satirical women's magazine. Uh, we like to say it's like the onion meets Cosmo. Um, but we've also expanded to satirize a lot of just the internet culture and kind of really anything that Oprah would do to women's media, we would do for women's media satire. That's a great That's amazing. Yeah. What are some of the more, you know, because of the way that the Facebook news feed operates, sometimes people just scroll and see and then actually don't click on the source. So I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners actually probably have read some of your headlines. What are some of the more popular ones that have popped up, kind of gone viral or whatever, the, the ones that have resonated the most with, with readers? How to be a lady in the streets in a haunted clock tower in the sheets. Um, <laughs> Yep. Let's see. Uh, I married my boyfriend because he said he knew how to say ni hao. Um, <laughs> we're, we're piercing my baby's tongue. Here's why. Um, I could go on, but you can find all the highlights on Instagram. Oh, that's um, great. That's great. Few winners. We, we actually, you. a listener of ours sent a uh, letter into us with reflections on like the women's march and race stuff and all of the sort of intersectional feminist critiques of that and sent ended the letter with basically saying, like, this reductress article sums it up, and it was the... Um, was it white woman to pat herself on the back for the next four years yes, for attending yes, yeah. women's march? Yes, yeah. that yeah. was it. <laughs> yep, yes. Really funny, relevant stuff. How but also true because there's women at my, I'm a, a community college professor and there's a lot of white women that do pat themselves on their backs for going to the march. So you actually reported not fake news, but real news. <laughs> Appreciate and we that. We didn't even know it. Well, that was a, that's a tricky one. You know, and we don't necessarily want to undermine the principles of any kind of protest that we're down with, but there's definitely always a way to allow us as white feminists to yeah, just kind of find our blind spots and, you know, poke fun at some of our some of the things we don't always do right. So No, totally. And actually I had a I had a question about that in terms of how is satire specifically a feminist tool in your eyes? 
I mean, whether it's a feminist tool or just a tool for social change, I think the best that we hope for is to help clarify people's perspectives and ideas on things that they may already agree with. We're not necessarily out to change minds of people, because the funny thing about satire is, you know, some MRA on Twitter could read our stuff and it could actually just reinforce their ideas about women or about feminists. So we're not really there to change them. Um, I think some of the bigger impact that we, the bigger impact that we make is a lot of, um, we do a lot of pieces on like microaggressions in the workplace and just helping women kind of put some language to the things they experience in everyday life. And then, you know, actually have a view of what's, (laughs) what's going on, what's actually happening. So that's the best that we can hope to achieve. Yeah. And I, well, I think it's, I mean, I think you're underselling what what this can what this can do for folks. I'm just thinking about Mel and I are big SNL watchers and like just so grateful to have like a funny outlet where we can laugh at the horror that is this presidency. And I think for women to be able to look at something and be like, "Oh, they're describing this, but I'm also laughing about this thing that is like really difficult for me." It can be like really healing and really powerful um where mel Mel and i also had we're just like big comedy fans in general we had another improv person on here so like i just think that yeah that was a little of an undersell because i think comedy is like super super powerful and and important so um but i I really like um her point though about how it clear it helps us clarify our thoughts and ideas which is something i actually never really thought of with satire so Mm -hmm. I didn't know we were interviewing a genius. <laughs> I will directly quote you. Yeah. Also, um, for listeners who might be more on the baby feminist end of things, MRA stands for Men's Rights Activist. Yeah. And I guess that kind of leads me to my one of my other questions about knowing that that these satirical headlines can sort of fuel the fire of meninists, etc. Um, have you gotten specifically like feminist pushback from that or and or what other um, criticism have you endured since since beginning this? There's a slew of trolls um, that do a lot. They usually play a lot of the reverse sexism game Mm -hmm. that like if you said this about if we said this about women, it wouldn't be okay, which is mostly ignored and the trolls we ignore. Every once in a while, we do get a comment from a feminist who probably reads um it's never been anything where like hundreds of people are like you are absolutely wrong but i do understand how some of our our headlines can be misread out of context and seem more uh real than satirical yeah because we are really taking on the tone of an industry that's heteronormative that's (laughs) cisnormative that's just you know um so we really do sometimes have to embody the tone of the thing that we're we're criticizing. Right. Uh, otherwise, we kind of defeat our own goal. So uh, I do ho- understand how that can be misread in certain contexts. And unfortunately, that's the nature of the internet is we're just right. flipping through things. And it's, uh, we are just gonna react. Yeah. So Well, and just like the onion, you know, I've seen people I mean, the onion has a whole like, there's I don't know if it's a website or what, but you know people thinking the onion headlines are real, and I've seen that on Reductress as well. There was one. It was similar to the woman pats herself on the back, but it was oh the woman who doesn't talk about politics because she wants like bright and shiny things in her Facebook or whatever. I don't remember <laughs> the wording, but basically like oh why do we need to talk about negative things and just 
highlighting the amount of privilege that it requires to not think about politics and oppression and, and things like that. And there was somebody that my friend posted it, and then one of her probably, you know, whatever, just not woke or sort of clued in friends wrote, um, how sad for that woman. Like, she should probably try to engage more. And I was like, okay, well, that, yeah. was, that was lost on you. But yeah, I guess I guess that's a nice response. Yeah. Um, you know, both the power and the danger, I guess, of that, of that kind of um, humor. Mel, do you want to say anything about that? So I just wanted to, like, add some more context to what we're talking about because, and you caught me on a good week because I just taught my students about journalism and we like had a section in our textbook about satire and fake news but this is um something that i'm really interested in as a topic and we have a well one of rachel's colleagues and now you know my colleague slash friend um Dr. Zimdar, she put together uh, a Google Doc that shows what fake news looks like and then like lists all the type of all the different sources of fake news that's out there. Yeah. And I think it's really important to differentiate the between satire and fake news. And my students are having a hard time understanding this because the definitions of them are changing and they have been changing since, you know, the spring or summer where all these fake news start fake news sites started to pop up. So I just wanted to like clarify that the term fake news to me means the news sites or the they're not even news sites, the sites such as Nat- National Report that is actually pretending to be news and hopes that you think it's news. Whereas a site like yours is clearly satirical. And, you know, of course, if people are scrolling through and are not going to actually stop and think about what they're reading, that's somewhat on them, but also that there's now this whole new category of quote unquote fake news, which I think is very different than satirical news. And so I was just wondering if you could kind of talk about, talk about that and also where you see reductorist in that, uh, in this new era of fake news and satirical news? Yeah, I mean, I think the the best different differentiator, if that is even a word, that I can conjure up is that fake news engages in wish fulfillment. It, it, it just reinforces whatever you want to believe, whether it's true or half true. So yeah, that's kind of uh, the biggest difference. There's a lot of gray area in between, of course, because Um, sometimes what we do is definitely making a statement, but it's also pandering to, in a sense, pandering to people who already agree with us. Um, so there is like a degree of the potential for being self-satisfied when you read a reductress article, right? And well, we try to, we try to minimize that by being as specific as possible with our jokes. Um, like I use an example where we got a pitch where um, it, uh, the ultimate headline was, I can't believe this country is so racist, reports members of all white startup. And the original, the original pitch was, I can't believe this country is so racist, reports white male CEO. Mm. And the point there is it's so easy for us as young uh, progressive people to point at white men, mm. <laughs> always it's white men as being like the worst. And a lot of us can, and it really doesn't allow us to kind of turn inward and look at what we're doing mm-hmm. uh, ourselves and what we're responsible for. And we just try to be as specific as possible in doing that so that people are questioning themselves, hopefully, or at least someone that's close to them, rather than just satisfying this like wish fulfillment, um, propping up their own ideology. 
And, you know, in just like the internet world, these fake news sites exist because they're completely capitalizing on that need to just have your own worldview supported and get that click. And um, they don't need anything else from there. It's what's screwing up journalism in general today is that the money is based on the click, not on if you read it, not on if it's good. Mm -hmm. So that's something we'll be dealing with for the next lifetime. Right. So I'm also a, uh, I advise a, a newspaper at my community college and we're even thinking, we're really hesitant actually to do some of our satire news because for whatever reason, people have not, I don't know what happened to people's media literacy, but it's like totally out the window when it, when it um, comes to news. And so it, it doesn't seem like you're too worried about it, but do you ever have discussions about what would happen if people actually thought that this stuff was real and what the repercussions would be? Because I don't want the solution to be no satire anymore, but also kind of, I, I don't know, I'm just curious your thoughts on, have you thought about media literacy and, and how people consume news on, online and how we can ha get people to like, you know, understand the sources? Because it would bum me out if people were seeing your stuff and thinking that it's actually like a feminazi website or what or whatever you know what sure. I mean and not actually understanding um so I'm just curious your thoughts and I'm sorry for all these like detailed questions but this is just like my wheelhouse and I'm just um really fascinated by it all so yeah I got like 60 answers for you <laughs> um, good. I'll listen go ahead <laughs> the first the first thing and I think the biggest problem of right now is that the gulf between media literacy and illiteracy is the same gulf between literacy and illiteracy 100 200 years ago and it's horrifying that the majority of the country really can't even tell a, a pretty clear joke, mm. like a real, like an onion satire joke from news or fake news. And that's concerning. And I don't know if we're ever going to, I don't know how we're going to solve that. Um, we have to completely reshape our education system to do this. And Facebook needs to be investing billions of dollars into it because they're just as responsible as anyone else. But I guess the kind of funny answer <laughs> is um, most of the stuff that people think is real, the feelings that result from it are usually <laughs> not harmful. For example, we had a headline that I cannot believe people thought was real, but it's, it was, um, if Trump wins... I'm moving to Alaska. <laughs> and it was just so silly. Like, it wasn't really meant to say oh, anything so at all. Good. But people really thought that, like, a, a well-intentioned writer wrote this piece. And we were getting emails being like, this writer should be fired. Someone wrote a 6,000-word think piece explaining that Alaska is in this country. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely oh, nuts. So it's kind of like, that's more just, we're... I guess if anything, we're accidentally spinning people's wheels to no, <laughs> full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Right. Um, I think the potentially harmful end of that is, and this is something that I don't think The Onion deals with as much, but um, you, you might be familiar with like the Area Man articles on The Onion or something like mm -hmm. Area Man does this and that. Um, and usually the reactions from your typical man are, ha ha. Isn't that funny? This is a funny joke about all of humanity. But if we do a local woman does blank, it's uh, suddenly speaking about all of womanhood, mm. all women, and it's an attack on women. Mm. Um, so it's just being read completely differently. But are there, the approach is the same and the intentions are the same, really, to just kind of like poke at minutia of women's lives. Right. And 
you know, I don't, I don't know if that's adding any more harm that's already out there because people on Twitter are going to project their hatred onto whatever thing they can bounce off of, whether it's a reductress article or just a, a tiny photo of someone who appears to be a woman, you know, in right. an avatar. Like, it really doesn't matter. They'll talk at the reductress Twitter account as if she is an insolent woman and not a brand, right? Uh, which is just very, very strange. So are we adding to anything that isn't already there? I don't think so, but we're definitely becoming a weird backboard for these um, shitty foul shots from <laughs> weird people on the internet. Yeah. Have you been in, have you... Are you, did you get any sort of mentorship or are you sort of in touch with like people from The Onion um, or like one of my other favorite satire sites is hardtimes.net just because I came from like punk and hardcore and it's just <laughs> fucking awesome. hilarious. Um, but do you like, did you do any like bridge building between other satire sites who maybe talked about similar struggles? Yeah, we're friendly with The Onion. So yeah. we chat with them and we cool. have lunch sometimes. Yeah. Cool. Oh, that's great. Cool. Yeah. That's Fun. amazing. So... I am curious if there's been a dramatic sort of shift uh, post-Trump in your in your office. And also maybe if you could tell us like the number of staff writers you have and what sort of like a day in the life of the reductress. Um... And show us your taxes and how much money do you make <laughs> and what's everybody's ages. If you could just give us that information since we're credible reporters, that'd be amazing. Um <laughs> But Mostly just what Rachel is asking, though. Yeah. So what's what's it like? What's the tone in the office like? How how is has your has the writing been affected at all? So it has. Uh, yeah, everything's affected. Right. I mean, I think it's affecting productivity in every office mm-hmm. across the country. Has it dramatically changed the tone? No, it definitely has changed the aim of what we imagined we'd be doing in 2017. We thought we would be uh, finding all the the problems and foibles of having a first woman president. Mm -hmm. Um, and instead we're almost rolling back to issues that we thought we figured out in the nineties. I mean, it's amazing how like we were just knee deep in, in issues we should be dealing with right now, like trans rights and queer issues and race and everything. And now we're literally fighting the question of are women people mm-hmm. <laughs> all mm-hmm. over again? Yeah. Um, so it does kind of change uh, what what we're talking about, and even just the absolutely befuddling way that the media and the establishment, the the, the administration are are interacting. You will see a lot more political stuff on the site, but you know, ultimately, we are still trying to uh, keep it to things that are involve women and are relevant to women. And, you know, we've kind of decided for what it's worth that uh, the Trump presidency is a women's issue. So we're free to take it on. And um, we do have at most five people in the office on any given day. Um, A few of those people are part-timers. So it's uh, a pretty small office. That's impressive. You're running a very awesome operation with with just five-ish people. It's cool. That's amazing. Thanks. And also, yeah. did, I'm sorry, did we answer the question about um, are women people? Because you just asked that, like you asked that hypothetically and you didn't answer uh, it. So. Well, yeah, we're still working it out, but um, I'm here. So um, <laughs> I'm going to go outside and like ask some men what they think. Perfect. And if it's like a majority, then I'm, yeah, I'm a person today. So okay, cool. okay. perfect. I just want to clarify that for our listeners. Thank you. <laughs> Awesome. Well, um, Sarah, thank you so much. We uh, don't want to take too much more of your time, but we would love to invite you to join us for our closing segment called RWL, which stands for Reading, Watching, Listening. And we just say what we are reading, watching, and listening to this week. Would you like to join us? 
Sure. Okay, cool. Mel, do you want to go first? Of course. Yes. Um, so I'm reading, I'm rereading this book called Pretty and Punk, which is about women's resistance in a boy's subculture. So it's about how women, it's an ethnography about women, punk women in, you know, the punk scene. And um, I shared it with my intercultural class. So it's been kind of cool to go down memory lane. And it's a really it reminded me of grad school because it's this really intense ethnography and, and she's a feminist scholar for sure. And just kind of throwing out some of the norms of academia. So it was a good reminder that mm-hmm. people like her exist. Um, I've been watching uh, Saturday Night Live, I guess, is mm-hmm. like pretty much it. And then I've been listening to Blink-182. Don't judge me, Sarah. It's Mm -hmm. one of my uh, guilty Guilty pleasures. pleasures. Mm -hmm. Um, I was also listening to the Trump press conference. It got, for whatever reason, got replayed last night on NPR when I was driving home. And I was like screaming at the radio. So I I prefer the pop punk, the shitty pop punk uh, sometimes for my Mm -hmm. mental health. So Mm -hmm. thank you. What about you, Rachel? Cool. I'm reading a Robin D.G. Kelly book. Uh, mm. Melody, you're a fan. Freedom Dreams. Which one? Freedom Dreams. I think it's called Freedom Dreams. Um, oh, I love him. Yeah, he's the best. Um, I'm watching. I just have was today watching bits and pieces of the shit show that was the press conference yesterday, which was just truly horrifying. And then I had to. Do you have any black friends? Because I heard that he needs uh, (laughs) in with the caucus. Right, (laughs) this random black reporter. Can you set me up a meeting? Oh my god, (laughs) I can't. I literally can't. My best friend's black, so (laughs) I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm just kidding about fake news. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Fake news. Uh, We're all fake. Go ahead. Um, and I'm listening to. uh, I just I was listening today to Cakes Tequila. I love cakes. Yeah. Um, mm. I didn't get to see, uh, I don't I don't know their pronoun, but they were performing with uh, Mickey Blanco on tour, and I didn't get to go to any of that tour, but my friends did, and um, and I was jealous. What about you? Ooh, okay. So I literally, this week, put down the book White Trash, because mm. I realized I cannot possibly read any more nonfiction right now, and yeah. I picked up The Handmaid's Tale, because I'm one of those people that just never read it. Mm-hmm. And you know, everyone for the past year has been like, Handmaid's Tale, Handmaid's yeah. Tale. And I'm like, fine. Yeah. Um, so I'm blowing through it and just horrified. Not right. much else. Because it doesn't, there. it probably doesn't feel much like nonfiction or like fiction. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Right? I know. <laughs> what a choice I made. Right. I am watching Young Pope, which is has eerie connections to what's happening now and how we in in the need to prop up and and protect an institution <laughs> can kind of accidentally um undermine it entirely reminds me a lot of what's happening now yeah um, what not where is where do you stream that hbo go okay um always keep your ex's login yep um <laughs> and uh, well i'm not like totally captivated by the show itself like it's a little bit weird and draggy the idea is really creepy and relevant right yeah, now yeah what am i listening to probably like just alternating between solange and like lady gaga yeah that's basically it that's joanne is a great it. album you know yeah, it's underrated yeah, yeah. I, appreciate <laughs> I appreciate that um well thank you so much we're really really grateful for your time and like we said we're just really big fans and are grateful for what you're doing and um i'm super proud to be a fellow to paul alum knowing that yeah. you're doing what you're doing and we close the show by saying WTF Power, which stands for Women Trans Femme Power. So, WTF Power.
need one good one to stay Head stuck in a cycle, I look off and I stare It's like that I've stopped breathing but completely aware Cause you're giving me a million reasons Give me a million reasons Giving me a million reasons About a million reasons And if you say something that you might even mean It's hard to even fathom which parts I should believe Cause you're giving me a million reasons Give me a million reasons Giving me a million reasons About a million Baby, I just need one good one to stay.